As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Oh man, we have a treat for you today. Today we have a chat with Bryce Roberts, who's one of the managing partners at OATV. Now, OATV is trying this experiment, as they call it, um, indie.vc. Now, if you go there, you'll see the rules of this new model that they're trying out. But basically, it helps incentivize companies to earn a profit and really build a long-term business as opposed to shooting for an acquisition or an IPO and ties the investor's compensation to the founder's salary as an indication of how well the company is doing. So stay tuned for this extended conversation with Bryce Roberts. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. 
I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Um, so first, I'd love to hear uh, what is IndieVC and how did you guys get started? So IndieVC is a, is a little experiment that we're currently running in, uh, within one of our funds at OATV. OATV is a, is a seed stage fund that I started with my partners, Mark Jacobson and Tim O'Reilly, back in 2005, 2006 is when we got the fund going. So we've been doing it about a decade. Um, and with our new fund, it was becoming clearer and clearer that the kind of seed category that we were hoping to kind of establish in those those kind of early days um it, it had been it, it had been morphing in ways that we didn't fully appreciate and that we didn't fully see kind of back a decade prior and so um and so really with with the new fund we wanted to go back and kind of explore a couple different um a couple different aspects of the model and one of those was what was really NDVC, which you know ends up being um, uh, you know a landing page first that we threw up, you know to kind of see you know whether there was anybody that it would resonate with, yeah. and then from there we wanted to see if anybody that it resonated with, you know, might make for interesting investments. And I think from there, and where, where we've kind of been for the last um, nine months, you know, since we kind of kicked off the, the first group of companies made those, those first handful of investments is to kind of let it play out in a couple dimensions. One being, you know, how is it working for the companies that are a part of it? And then, you know, how has the, you know, how, how does the message that we started with, um, how does that evolve and who does it resonate with? Right. So, you know, what types of founders, types of businesses. And so, um, you know, it's still very much, you know, we're, we're still very much in the experimental phase of all of this. And, you know, candidly, I hope we never leave that because I do think that, you know, entrepreneurship and trying to kind of rewire and rethink how we use capital to, to leverage and grow our businesses is a really fascinating and potentially, you know, super lucrative for everybody involved um, experiment worth pursuing. So, so take me through some of the points that you guys kind of had a contention with or, or wanted to fix in the current model. Yeah. Well, you know, I think when we started, um, you know, 05 and 06 is really when kind of that, that was the, you know, kind of primordial soup of, of the seed funding, you know, uh, what's now kind of a little market, right? A little mm-hmm. cottage industry in, in seed funding. Um, you know, and the idea was really, pretty straightforward, right? Back then, I think it feels like conventional wisdom now, but back then there was this big disconnect between, you know, VCs who were writing five, $10 million checks and angel investors who were writing, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand dollar checks. Um, but the, there was this kind of this technical technical shift that had happened where all this cost where you'd historically had to raise $5 million had now gotten kind of wrung out of the system. And so you could get Essentially, the same business that it took you five million to launch prior was taking you five hundred thousand or less, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this was still kind of pre-Amazon Web Services. This was, you know, hosted infrastructure was just coming on the scene, but open source was a big part of it. Web as distribution was part of it, um, and so you know, we wanted to kind of rethink the relationship that entrepreneurs had with capital and the way they had to think about building their businesses, which is, you know, rather than you know, take that $5 million round of funding and then you're kind of on that VC treadmill of raising money every 12 to 18 months. You're, you know, you, you're kind of, you have a kind of a one-stop, 
uh, you're on the express train, if you will. Right. Of, you know, you like you're going, you're going big, or you're, or you're, or you're going to like blow up. You know, in trying to get there, right? Yeah. You know, the the idea of seed stage funding initially was, um, you know, take a little bit of money and then explore your options, right? Build the thing you want to build, um, but don't be in such a you know, put yourself in a position at the end of that funding that you have options to explore, right? And those options. You know, one of those options was certainly like we're on to something, we're on to something potentially massive, multi-billion dollar type of opportunity, and now let's go raise venture money to go explore that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, we're on to something and it fills the hole in somebody else's roadmap. And candidly, it's probably not that big of a business anyway, but like we can slot into this company or that company. We haven't raised so much money that our valuation isn't crazy. They can write a small, you know, 10-ish, 30-ish million million dollar check that, you know, gets us a a great outcome for ourselves and for our early investors. That was, you know, supposed to be an option, right? And then the third option was, let's just run it, Mm. right? Like we've got a business, we can actually generate real revenue, you know, the, the, the cost of running these software businesses potentially quite low, the margins quite high, like there's this massive opportunity for us to just build a slower growth, but potentially every bit as big type of business without really kind of getting hooked on on all of that comes along with venture capital. And so reflecting on that, you know, over the years as we've been building our fund and deploying that strategy, it became clearer and clearer that, you know, seed funding it essentially turned into, you know, an express ticket. Right. Like they're really all the those other two options weren't really in folks' mindset anymore. We were essentially just getting entrepreneurs kind of hooked on that cadence of raising money every 12 to 18 months, you know, building, you know, uh, building businesses that were probably more in line with uh, fundable milestones than in fundamentals in terms right. of, you know, building and building a proper foundation for a long-term business. You're really kind of um, building for what's going to be fashionable and what's going to attract more follow-on cash. And so, you know, NDVC in part was you know, a response to that, but it was also, you know, the, it was, it was that landing page was really like five or six years of me wrestling with that, the kind of what seed funding had become and how it had been, you know, essentially kind of, um, you know, it'd been commandeered by Sand Hill Road. And so this was an opportunity to step back and say, look, you know, those first principles we started out with, um, as seed investors back in 05, 06, like, does any of that ring true anymore, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think as we peeled that back a little bit further, it was clear that almost all of those um, first principles around seed investing were not only still true, but probably more true today than they ever were, that entrepreneurs should be able to get further with less. You know, and unfortunately, what, what we were seeing then, the result um, of the current funding environment was that you know, you just, you become who you hang around, right? And if the people you're hanging around and the things you're reading and the things that are informing your decisions about how to build your business is all rooted in attracting and growing your business on the back of venture capital, then that's just the path that so many founders are going to see as not only the path, but the aspirational path. Because once you've taken that money, once you've raised that money now, you know, the amount you raise, the valuation you put in the paper, or on the websites, these are all things that suggest you're really going to go big, right? And that you have a, you have a really ambitious plan for the world. And you know, we just 
don't buy that, right? Like, you know, the, the amount of money people raise and, and the valuations that they raise it at have almost no correlation, with, you know, to the ambition that uh, that entrepreneur has. But our modern day startup culture, you know, has really lionized that and, and in some ways weaponized that as like the message for, for founders. And so um, our early thought was just like, what if we, you know, it's most basic, like, what if we pulled people out of that system and surrounded them with, with entrepreneurs who had, you know, we could provide access to the types of resources that VCs provide their portfolio businesses um, with a little bit amount of cash and a cohort of, of peers who, you know, who don't spend any time thinking about how to raise their next round. They spend all of their time thinking about how to build their business and drive mm-hmm. revenue. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So take me through the the model that you guys have set up or, the, or that you're currently using uh, for investment. Yeah, so, so what we ended up doing to kind of codify some of those values, we actually came up with, um, with a, a separate type of term sheet that we used. Um, and, and, and the term sheet, um, if you look at most term sheets that are out there, especially you know, in the seed stage landscape, most are either pricing around and then you're, you're actually selling shares or the other, asp- you know, the other uh, term that's out there is you know, like a bridge note. Um, uh, you know uh, that converts into a subsequent round, and I think it's that last part that um, that we really wanted to push back on, which was, you know, every document, every legal agreement, you know, kind of presumes that there's another round of funding to either convert into or to you know kind of maximize your share value as that gets repriced by a new investor. And so we we came up with a, a set of documents that were friendly to entrepreneurs who were running you know kind of traditional C corps and LLCs that allowed us to invest you know a hundred thousand dollars that that was kind of a, a you know an arbitrary number that we picked hundred thousand um, dollars and that if those you know, if, if those companies that we invest in never raise any outside money and don't sell, we never become a shareholder. And so as those companies grow, how we recoup our investment is there's a, there's a mechanism in there that triggers off of the salary of the, of the founders at the time we fund that says when they want to start pulling money out of the business, we just take a percentage of that until, you know, we hit a certain threshold and then, and then we don't take any more distributions. Um, in the event that they do raise more money, we uh, we would convert. You know that that investment we make would convert at a kind of predefined percentage of the of the of the subsequent round. And if they sell, we we'd own like a you know we'd only become a shareholder at the time mm. uh, they sell, and then we take a small piece of that upside. Interesting. So but, but the oh, default yeah. is, the default is like growth and sustainability. Um, and that you're going to remain an independent business. And then, you know, we, the other provisions are really just for the outliers from that model. So you find that um, when people are coming into this, it doesn't limit the, the other options to go a different way to be acquired or to, to participate in like a merger. Um, but it, you're really kind of setting the course for that company to be an independent business. 
I think it's, yeah, I mean, I think the mindset that we've tried to both articulate and embody in the documents is your first priority is becoming a sustainable, independent, profitable business. If somewhere along that route, you realize like there's some massive breakout opportunity in front of you, like we're a partner, you know, in the truest sense and that we have, we can invest further dollars if that's if that's the way you want to go we can you know we are vcs so we can introduce you to into the networks and help you navigate you know any additional follow-on funding but again it's that it, it may seem subtle but it's a very real difference of setting yourself up for long-term sustainable growth out of the gate and presuming that that's what you want to build towards versus you know the current state of the state within seed investing is um, you know, you're presumed to be a potential unicorn. Everybody is presumed to be a potential mm-hmm. unicorn right out of the gate. And that's, that's kind of the direction and kind of the, the push um, that people are given. And so, you know, we compared a little bit to like organic versus anabolic, right? Like, you know, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's an organic path that gets you, you know, to a, to a revenue generating sustainable business. And there's this kind of anabolic path that allows you to bulk up on steroids and look bigger <laughs> than you are at the gate. Right. And, you know, as with anything, like there are pros and cons for each of those, but especially in that, you know, that, that anabolic state, you know, th- those steroids tend to do just as much harm as good uh, for most companies. And so I think, you know, we, we want to, you know, create a, a path that allows these businesses to grow on their own terms and not necessarily on the timelines and terms that a, that a VC needs them to grow. And our bet is that if we do that, we can actually probably, you know, our sense is that we can outperform traditional venture um, in going that route anyway. Totally. Yeah. So do you find that, um, like, it, did this model evolve from being outside of San Francisco? Like, is it that merger and acquisition culture in San Francisco that allows the current venture capital scene to still exist, but not thrive outside? No, no. I mean, I think, you know, venture capital as a tool is, is incredibly powerful, right? Like you can't, you cannot, you know, you you can't um, minimize the returns that, folks like Sequoia Capital have seen over the mm. course of 20 and 30 years, right? You can't downplay the results that someone like Benchmark has had over, you know, a, a 10 to 20 year time frame, right? I mean, it is, it's this amazingly powerful tool that when used properly can really accelerate. But it's, you know, it's like, you know, a scalpel is an amazing tool for surgery. And yet we're using a, you know, a sledgehammer, Instead, you know, we're treating venture capital as a sledgehammer instead of a scalpel, right? Like, there's right. this like th- there's this very thin, um, you know, thin use case that works incredibly well for it, and oftentimes it works in San Francisco, but not exclusively. Okay. Um, and 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 yet we're kind of trying to apply it to every single every single company and every single problem, and I, I think that's a misuse of capital. And, and unfortunately, I think that's also a really unhealthy, uh, it has it has really deep and unhealthy uh, implications to most of the companies who participate in that kind of venture capital system. Okay, yeah. So what are you seeing um, for the companies that are attracted to this model? Um, are there any trends that you're seeing um, in, you know, ideas or industries that this works really well for? 
I think we're still pretty early on, okay. but you know, I think I think what we're seeing, you know, we're we're like nine months into it, and so we're still watching really closely to figure out who who it's working best for. And I would say of the the kind of eight companies that we pulled in, each one of those eight was really brought in to kind of test some underlying hypotheses around who this might work best for, or you know, to try and discover are there certain categories for whom this works better for than others, right? So, you know, I would say some of the companies, um, some of the companies are struggling just like anybody else would be. All the companies are struggling in their own unique ways. But some, I would say the infusion of cash and access to networks haven't been as impactful or meaningful right out of the, you know, in this relatively compressed time frame as others have. We have some that are kind of you know, they're growing, they're doing fine, but they, there hasn't been like any, you know, massive, you know, any real acceleration in the way they operate or how they're doing business. Whereas we have a handful of companies that are, you know, one has grown 20x since joining the, you know, since since jumping in with us. Um, and, you know, that business is like, it's it's incredible. And, you know, for that business, it was a little bit of the cash, but so much of it was access to networks and thinking that informs so much of how, you know, companies operate these days, just kind of modern tools that really allow that entrepreneur to accelerate her business in like in ways that have just been phenomenal, right? We've had other companies that have grown, you know, kind of four to five X, you know, since joining the program, several of them have kind of doubled in size since joining the program just over the last nine months. Um, and that's across a pretty, you know, a, I mean, if you if you look at the companies, it's a pretty wide um, spectrum of industries that they're each in. Um, and you know, I would say I would, some small lessons would be like you know, physical goods are harder, right? Like you know, when you have a tight budget and if you don't have a good lending partner, you know, shipping and building physical stuff is you know can be more challenging, right? I think some of the software businesses we've had have been have been doing really well. Um, some of the hardware, you know, just has, it's, it's, as with anything, there's just more moving parts, there's more complexity in it. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm not ready to say at all that hardware businesses can't work on this model because I think we're starting to see some even within our own that are. But I think there's also enough history behind, you know, companies that have shown that this model can work um, that I, I wouldn't necessarily weed them out. I think the main thing we've learned is that timing is much more critical, right? And so, you know, when we when we invested in these eight companies, part of the thinking was that we wanted to invest across a range of um, inflection points for them. Some of those were, you know, could just wanting to be an independent business and grow on this path be enough as a starting point? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, someone who had, hundred, you know, hundred hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in revenue um, or a million plus in revenue and you know what kind of acceleration would that bring to their business is they're kind of they've, they've got a better sense of their business they've got a better sense of where to invest against in terms of their problems and so I would say you know the, the, the big lesson that we're kind of teasing apart right now is like what's that what's that um, timing or financial inflection point where a little bit of cash and access to these networks, you know, has a you know has a meaningful effect on on a business because we we've seen it in a few cases now, and you know we're starting to see you know some of those companies who we may have been involved with really early are just now starting to hit those inflection points where we're starting to see um, 
that type of acceleration as well. Totally. Yeah. So, um, well, I really appreciate you you coming on. Um, where can we keep up with you and, and NDVC and the portfolio that you guys are building now? So we have, you know, we have a pretty simple landing page there at Indy.VC online. We've got a, and, and, and if you go to NDVC, you can sign up for a newsletter over the course of April this month, we'll be starting to roll out some updates on future, the future of the program and where we want to go with it. We've been able to, you know, pool some, some, uh, some new capital that we'll be able to start putting to work here. Uh, in these types of businesses uh, over the next few years. So we're pretty excited about that. And then Twitter account, we're just at NDVC on Twitter. Um, and I think if you're if you're signing up for our mailing list or you are tracking us on Twitter, you'll start to see some of the announcements as they roll out. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, we definitely want to check back in and, and see how this goes. Terrific. Well, happy, uh, you know, thanks for reaching out. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Totally. Big thanks to Bryce Roberts for coming on today and sharing. Remember, if you want to keep up with IndyVC, it's Indy.VC. Uh, they also, at the at the bottom, you can check out their Medium where they're posting uh, a ton of update articles where you can learn a bit more about their process. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, Optimizer WP, that's OptimizerWP.com, and ChargeBee. You can check them out at ChargeBee.com forward slash rocketship. Stay tuned. We're going to continue with this funding series. On Wednesday, we're going to have an episode all on liquidity. So we're going to look at different ways that companies can generate liquidity um, in and outside of traditional models of acquisition or IPO. Please subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to and make sure to leave us a review. It helps out so much. And if you haven't yet, follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You can follow me at Michael Saka and Joel at Joel Goldman. We'll see you in just a couple days.